Good morning. If you don't know me yet, my name is Josiah Stumbo. I'm the pastor for young adults here at Grace, the pastor of student ministries at the Olmstead Falls campus. I heard a young adult, one in the room. I wonder how many of us have been caught up watching murder mystery shows and we can't stop. Anybody been there? You can pick your favorite. There's a thousand of them and they're all the same. All of the same formula, somebody gets murdered, some detective with this deep drive for justice goes through a series of dangerous twists and turns and always arrests the bad guy at the end of the show. Why does that work? Why does that formula always work so much that Netflix has to say, are you still there? <laughs> are you still buying this over and over and over? And we hit the play button because we're like, yeah, and I want to see it again. <laughs> The reason that it sells every single time is because every single one of us resonates with justice. We all want justice to win. Today we're going to continue our series in the Minor Prophets, these short, beautiful glimpses into the heart of God. And today we're going to learn from the prophet Micah, who boldly proclaimed, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. I want us to explore what that means, that the Holy Spirit would fill somebody with justice and ask the question, would he still do that today? But first, I want us to dive into some of the historical background of the book of Micah so that we know when Micah is saying these prophetic oracles, what the context is. And I could try to do that for the next 20 minutes or the Bible project can say all of it in about two minutes. So let's take a look at this video. The book of the prophet Micah. Micah lived in a small town named Moreshet in the southern kingdom of Judah, about the same time as Isaiah. And both the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel had split long ago, and both had been violating their covenant with the God of Israel. So Micah warned that God would bring the big bad empire of Assyria to take out the northern kingdom and come ravage Jerusalem. And he also warned that after them, Babylon would bring an even greater destruction. Like all the prophets, Micah spoke on God's behalf to accuse Israel, or as he puts it in chapter 3, I am filled with strength, with the Spirit of God, with justice and power to declare how Israel has rebelled. And so, most of this book explores Micah's accusations and his warnings of God's judgment on Israel. But Micah also had a message of hope that countered these warnings about the restoration God would bring on the other side of his judgment. And if you dive into the book with us, you'll see how this works. So the first two sections of the book develop Micah's accusations and warnings against Israel and its leaders. So part one opens with the poetic description of God appearing over Israel, just like he did at Mount Sinai. There's fire and smoke and earthquake, but he hasn't come to make a covenant this time. He's come to bring his judgment on Israel for over 500 years of rebellion. Micah goes on to name all of these towns and cities in Israel that are the culprits of all of this rebellion, God's coming for them. But why exactly? So Micah picks a fight with Israel's leaders. He says that they've become wealthy through theft and greed. He alludes to the story of Ahab stealing a family vineyard from Naboth in 1 Kings chapter 21. But also it's because Israel's prophets are corrupt. They're quite happy to offer promises of God's protection to anyone who can afford to pay them. No, Micah says, God has withdrawn his protection from Israel. 
In the second section of accusations, Micah describes even more how Israel's leaders and prophets have together committed grave injustice. They run the land through bribery, they bend justice to favor the wealthy, and the poor are deprived of their land, their security, and their hope. And all of this is a violation of the laws of the Torah, which declare it illegal to sell land that belongs to families, even if they're poor. And so we find out that God's judgment is going to take the form of an oppressive nation that comes to take out the northern kingdom and Jerusalem and its temple, which will be reduced to ruins. If you want to see the rest of that video, there's a link to it in your message notes today. You might have noticed that over the last several weeks as we've studied the minor prophets, there's this theme of judgment and especially a theme of judgment against injustice. Well, no prophet goes more into these, this idea of God judging injustices than Micah. He almost exclusively speaks about the sins of injustice, the sins of exploitation of the poor, land grabbing, bribery, and religious corruption. When God first formed the nation of Israel, he was really careful to make sure that laws were in place for the poor and the marginalized and the vulnerable to be protected. But in Micah's day, those laws protecting the vulnerable were being blatantly disregarded. I want to give us one example, this idea of seizing people's land. According to God's original purposes for Israel, land was supposed to be passed down from generation to generation within families so that no matter what, no matter what status you were, no matter what happened in your life, you will have a portion, of, if you're an Israelite, you have a portion of the land of Israel that God divvied up for everybody on purpose. It was really clear that this land was not to be permanently changed, was not to permanently change hands. Leviticus 25, 23 is really clear. The land must not be sold permanently. And there's this concept of the year of Jubilee that God put in place, where every 50 years, even if there was some temporary shuffling of the land, it would all be reset and go back to the original way that God divvied it out so that everybody would have land to their name. But in Micah's day, greedy rulers and powerful people were stealing land from others, leaving families perpetually in slavery leaving them without any security, without any crops, without any equity, and having to live in servitude of other people, completely disrupting God's system for how Israel was supposed to be. It was hurting God's people, and God was angry. Injustice seems to have been prevalent at every level of society in Micah's day. Micah calls out the leaders and the rulers of Jerusalem, saying, listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, should you not embrace justice? You who hate good and love what is evil. The people entrusted with caring for and leading God's people were instead exploiting them for their own personal gain. On a religious level, you had these prophets who were claiming to speak for God, but instead were actually saying whatever people would pay them to say. How terrible is that? And Micah had words for them too. He said, as for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. And as a result, God's judgment was coming in the terrifying form of the armies of Babylon and Assyria. And Micah was appointed to be the one to warn them. 
By committing these offenses and injustices and creating a whole culture in which this kind of exploitation of the weak was both common and accepted, Israel had stepped out of the boundaries of God's grace for them. God made it really, really clear for them, easy, simple, throughout the Old Testament, that if you obey my commands, I will bless you and it will go well for you. But if you break my commands, there will be judgment. Judgment is a really interesting topic to study. On one hand, judgment is God actively punishing evil and simultaneously lifting up the oppressed because in that act of punishing the evildoers, the, the, the oppressed who are being harmed by them are vindicated, right? And so as Pastor Tom pointed out a few weeks ago, judgment can actually be an expression of God's love. It's very, very good news for those who are being oppressed. It means that God sees them, God cares for them, and God's not going to stand aside and let people be exploited endlessly. It's even an expression of his love for those he's judging because he won't let them stay in their ways of wickedness. And I believe there's also another element of justice where it can be understood as God simply allowing the sin to run its course, allowing people to experience the consequences of sin. In Israel's case, if the society would have lived according to the purposes that God originally intended for Israel, things would have gone really well because God would have blessed them actively, but also just naturally by living according to the way that God told them to live, people would treat each other well and things would go well. But living against, contrary to God's commands would put them in a place where they're hurting each other, right? Exploiting each other. And doing that causes all these natural consequences. You get cycles of poverty. These people don't have land and so they're, they're stuck in a cycle where there's no way out. There's uh, unjust systems. There's increased animosity and hatred between groups of people. There's even preventable health issues by not following the way that God had called them to live. And so they're suffering the natural consequences of their sin. Last week, I had the privilege of being in South Carolina with the high schoolers and watching God work powerfully in teenage lives. It was so cool. While we were there, though, we saw the outer edge of Hurricane, or sorry, Tropical Storm Elsa as it came up through South Carolina. One morning at 5 a.m., all the iPhones in the room went off at the same time with that same alarm that goes off with an Amber Alert. You know, that really crazy. And it was like 20 phones all at once for a tornado warning, um, five in the morning. And so we all woke up a little bit startled. We looked out the door and the wind was blowing the rain sideways. And it was a pretty intense storm. I had a few little waves of anxiety knowing that this storm had taken lives of people in the Caribbean and Florida. But overall, I knew that we were actually very safe. We were in this very sturdy cinder block building. No flying debris through the sky could have harmed it. It was actually built up on stilts, so even high water wouldn't have harmed us in any way. But there was this other little tiny part of me that wanted to go outside in the storm and just experience it, like hold on to something and feel the wind blowing against me and just feel what it's like to be in a tropical storm. I didn't do it. <laughs> um, it would not have been a good idea. Who knows what kind of debris could have flown through the sky, what could have fallen on my head, or what kind of tornado could have whisked me up to Oz. Um, inside the building, we were safe. 
outside the building, we would not have been. In Israel's case, they had stepped out of God's protective plan for a society that would thrive and with things that would go well for them. And they had stepped out into the storm willingly. And Micah is there to say, the storm is coming and it's on its way and evil will be punished and justice will prevail. So God chose Micah. He filled him with his spirit and sent him to Israel to speak on behalf of God in God's powerful, authoritative, fatherly voice of warning. Micah says, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, with justice and might to declare to Israel his sin. However, Micah doesn't stop with judgment. God puts in Micah's mouth, even in the midst of this, I painted a pretty grim picture here. Pretty bad things are happening in Israel. But even in the middle of it, God wanted to make sure that he communicated his unfailing love for Israel. And so he placed hope in the mouth of Micah. This almost unbelievable hope for Israel's future. We call it messianic hope. Yes, there will be devastation. Your kingdom will crumble so thoroughly that your buildings made from rock are going to be crumbled to small enough bits that they'll roll like water down the hills, Micah says so poetically in chapter 1. But that's not the end. Someday, when the time is right, an everlasting king will come and establish an everlasting kingdom. And when he comes, he's going to come from a little town called Bethlehem, Micah says. This is so cool. I love this part. Micah 5, 2, about 700 years before Jesus was born, prophesied, Micah prophesied this. He said, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And then we know 700 years later in Bethlehem, in actually that specific Bethlehem, there were two and Micah got it right, in that specific Bethlehem, Jesus was born. And he went out and he began to establish his kingdom and be the ruler of Israel just exactly as Micah had predicted. That should strengthen any of our faith, the specificity of that prophecy. If there's any skeptics in the room about Christianity, first of all, so glad you're here. Second of, all, second of all, I want you to study this, this prophecy, this type of thing can be really powerful in forming our faith. But Micah goes, does more than just give us the fact of Jesus' birthplace. He prophesied for us a glimpse of what the kingdom of heaven looks like, about what God's kingdom, this messianic kingdom would look like. Let's listen to his words in chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. If you got your Bibles and like to flip there, I'll give you a second. Um, Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. It says, In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of mountains and shall be raised up above the hills. People shall stream to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. I want to pause there for a second. I want you to remember that the Messiah, Micah prophesied that the Messiah will teach them and he'll teach them from the mountain. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples 
and shall arbitrate between strong nations far away. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall all sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts had spoken. Did you notice that this Messiah, this king, will bring justice? arbitrating between nations so effectively that they don't need their weapons anymore and they turn their weapons into gardening tools and the land issues dealt with so perfectly that everyone has exactly what they need and no one has anyone to fear. What we see is this picture of heaven where Jesus is reigning with perfect justice and there's nothing to challenge him or stop him. It's a beautiful picture. And that's still yet to come because we don't find ourselves in heaven quite yet. In 2021, we find ourselves in between, in between Jesus's first coming and his second coming, between coming in a manger and coming on a clouds. And when Jesus came the first time, he began to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. He did that by healing and showing this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And he healed people and he taught them the ways of his kingdom. And he walked around showing what God's kingdom looks like. And now anyone who submits to the reign of Jesus in their life gets to see the kingdom around, gets to see little glimpses of the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. And actually, as we establish churches where people all together are mutually surrendering to the reign of Jesus, we get to see this powerful force of what the kingdom of heaven looks like as we together say, Jesus, you be the one in charge. Jesus, you be the king. We worship you and we want to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven together. That's what we're part of, the church. It's beautiful. And we get to see Jesus reigning. And where Jesus reigns, he reigns with justice. Let's take a look at that. We'll break it down. According to the book of Luke, the first message that this messianic king that they'd been waiting for preached was a message about justice. Here's what Jesus says about himself and about his mission as the messianic king, and as recorded in Luke 4, Verses 18 and 19. It was right after Jesus was tempted in the desert and then he was baptized and he hadn't, Luke didn't record any other teachings yet. This is the first one that's recorded. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I want you to catch a really cool parallel here. In the same way that the Holy Spirit anointed and empowered Micah for justice, the Holy Spirit is on Jesus for justice. Remember, Micah said, but as for me, I'm filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. And now Jesus is saying, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me for good news for the poor, freedom for the prisoners, sight for the blind, freedom for the oppressed, and a year of jubilee. 
And then Jesus went on to teach them the ways of his kingdom. He taught them by both word and deed how to live a life by, marked by treating others well, especially the vulnerable and those who needed defending. All right, remember what I told you to remember in the middle of that prophecy about what the kingdom was gonna look like that the Messiah would teach them. It said, many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. In Matthew 5, 1, I think this is awesome, he, we see it literally happening. It says this in Matthew 5, 1. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, those who are keeping their eyes on the Lord but are trampled by the world. You will inherit the earth. And then he goes on with the rest of the Sermon on the Mountainside, teaching ways to live. He teaches the fundamental elements of God's justice and God's kingdom. He teaches us love instead of hatred, sincerity of heart instead of any kind of hypocrisy, generosity, self-sacrificial peacemaking. Remember turning the other cheek? And loving our enemies. These are the fundamental elements of God's justice and God's kingdom. So Jesus has effectively made a way for us to join him in living as people of his kingdom now as we commit to learn from his life and teachings and as we commit to live like this, surrendered, submitted to his rule and his reign in our lives. So come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, so that Jesus may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. My first challenge for us today is to learn from Jesus. It's that simple. That's actually the definition of discipleship. And he will teach us the ways of justice because where Jesus reigns, he reigns with justice. As I've been studying the book of Micah over the past several weeks, I came to a conclusion with confidence that yes, the Holy Spirit still does anoint people to do justice. He anoints and empowers believers today to do justice. We've seen his heart for justice now for several weeks in the Minor Prophets. We've seen it in the life and the teachings of Jesus. For a bonus study this week, check out Acts 2, 4, and 6 to see where the first believers were filled with the Holy Spirit and what they went out and did was justice. They did a lot of other things too, but justice was a core part of their mission. When it comes to allowing the Holy Spirit to guide and empower our lives, it's really important that we are aware of the kinds of ways that he might lead us. Because it's actually easy to miss his voice in areas where we don't expect him to speak. If we haven't discovered this deeply biblical truth about God's heart for justice, we might not be able to follow him if he's trying to lead us there. One of the ways to understand the goal of the Christian life is walking in step with the Holy Spirit. You might have learned that from Galatians 5.25, to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Well, to help us keep in step with his spirit, God has given us a map, his word. 
And it shows us the kinds of things that God cares about. It shows us the kinds of ways that he has led people in the past. And it shows us the kind of ways that he will lead us today. And I hope we can start to see that the roadmark justice is written in bold lines all over this map. And I want us to see it so we can walk in it and watch what happens when justice wins in our spheres of influence and when justice wins in our communities. If we're going to learn to walk in step with the spirit, we have to be studying this map. The streets of Chicago are not familiar to me, and I would be happy if they stayed that way. I've not driven through Chicago too many times, but every time I've driven through Chicago, I've almost died. <laughs> One time, in particular, I was driving through Chicago at night by myself, and all I had for a GPS was my flip phone with a little two-inch screen on it. This was 11 years ago. And I'm driving way too fast because everybody is. And if I don't, I'll probably die. And so I see a sign that says that this is the last exit before the tolls. And I'm in trouble because I don't have any money on me. And so I have to exit and I have to exit now. That sign does not give you very much warning. And so I flip my, my blinker on, but everybody in the right, and I'm only one lane over from the exit, but everybody in the right lane has clearly not read the Sermon on the Mount because they're not willing to bless the meek, even if this meek guy has his blinker on. And so I'm getting nervous. I yell at the people next to me. They, my windows are up. They don't hear me. But I'm like, I find myself in between the highway and the exit. And it's a terrible place to be because there's a giant metal barricade right there. And it's coming at me fast. And so I'm going to die if I don't do something. So I just close my eyes and turn my car to the right and I'm alive today. Thank you, Lord. But if I was familiar with the roads, I could have been well prepared for my exit in advance. Being unfamiliar with the roads makes it much harder to stay on the right path, even if you have directions. The Holy Spirit is giving us directions. He's guiding us. He's telling us how to be part of this kingdom building project all day long, kind of like a GPS. But if we're totally unfamiliar with the territory that he's trying to lead us in, we're going to have a hard time keeping in step. Through Micah, we're seeing that standing up for justice is one of the roads that he will take believers on regularly. So let's be ready. Let's find it in the map. Let's study it. Let's get to know God's heart for justice. We know in the map, even right here in the book of Micah, that God cares a lot about things like homelessness, slavery, corruption, misuse of power in government or leadership or the church even. Have you seen this stuff on the map before? Like on your map for what the Holy Spirit might ask you to do? Do you see it within the realm of possibility that the Holy Spirit could ask you and empower you? to do things like advocating for the homeless or advocating for a foster child or maybe helping make the whole foster system more just and effective for children or maybe fixing a corrupt system in your workplace, stepping out on a limb and even whistleblowing if you have to, calling a government official on behalf of someone or a group of people who maybe don't have as much weight to their voice as you do. 
Are you willing and ready for the Holy Spirit to ask you and empower you to do something like finding solutions to the problems of covert racism that cause minorities to be treated less effectively in hospitals and suffer statistically less favorable outcomes? Or helping our urban schools become places where students can graduate well-prepared for a promising future. Or bringing awareness to the alarming amount of slavery that still exists in this country and worldwide. It's a very small list. Maybe the Holy Spirit speaking something else to you or will in the next week. For some of you, this is really good news because you've been working yourself to the bone on your own strength in these kind of issues. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit wants to empower you. He cares too. And for others, it might be challenging because you've been faithfully walking in step with the Holy Spirit and you haven't heard him ask you to do this yet. If you're rearing to go right away, Pastor Jelani's hosting a meeting next door at 1.30 in the fireside room here in Middleburg Heights for people who want to help transform the communities around Cleveland in some really practical ways by helping people gain the skills necessary to find meaningful careers, by teaching financial literacy and investing principles, and by working together for criminal justice reform. What I'm trying to say is this. Let's be ready. Let's get to know the bold lines on this map that point to justice and be open to the Holy Spirit to lead us, to be people, to do justice. And this is all we gotta do, and the Holy Spirit will do the rest. He'll tell us where and how and what. So those are my two challenges today. Learn from Jesus the ways of justice because it's his kingdom and be ready by studying who God is for the Holy Spirit to anoint and empower you to do justice. The worship team's gonna make their way up. I almost preached a whole sermon on the book of Micah without quoting the book's most famous passage. So I'm gonna make that right here now um, as kind of a call to worship. It shows what God really cares about, what God's really asking us to do. And so as we enter into a song where we're focusing on Jesus and asking to learn from him and asking to make him the center of it all, I would love for us to stand, actually, and I want to read this passage together. Um, well, I'll read it to you, but I would love you to stand in response to this passage as we're being called back into worship here. It says, with what shall I come before the Lord? and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I get my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God.